Hey, welcome IVF sisters. Today we're going to have a great show. Uh, our guest today is Brianna and she's going to be talking to us, sharing tips, information, everything that has to do with embryo adoption. She is 14 weeks pregnant now and she has a lot that we can learn from if you're considering embryo adoption, if you don't know how to get started on this path, or if you didn't even know this was an option for you, then you really want to stay tuned and listen to her great story. Be sure to grab a notebook and a pencil or a pen so that you can take notes and stay tuned. Hey, welcome to the Infertility Makeover Podcast, a podcast that will help you learn and get inspiration from successful IVF stories. Each week, I grab a cup of tea, get cozy in my couch, and have a girls chat with an IVF sister who is or has been successfully pregnant through IVF. We talk about their story and learn their best tips. And always remember that their story can be yours. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Brianna, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for being my first guest. Uh, this is my new adventure and I really appreciate you coming forward and allowing me to share your experience and your story with our future listeners. Uh, you're the first uh, episode, the first guest, so I am really excited about that and um, and I'm really excited also to share how we met uh, because this is one of the beauties of social media, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, I'm Brianna and um, I am currently 14 weeks and some days pregnant um, with our embryo adopted baby. And you and I met through Instagram, but it wasn't just a casual, you know, meeting or conversation or just following each other. You reached out um, and offered hypnotherapy to me uh, before my embryo transfer in February. So it was a very unique meeting. That's not a meeting I've ever had anything like that before. Yes, and I remember it was um, it was just the perfect timing because it was just a couple of days, right, before yeah. your transfer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a couple of days, and you just kind of came out of the blue into my DM. <laughs> was like, hey, maybe this is something you're interested. Would you want to participate? And I was, I mean, I was a couple days before embryo transfer, so I was ready to do anything if it meant getting me closer to being possibly successful, um, becoming pregnant. Yes, I I remember I, I kept, you know, watching your story in Instagram. And then when I saw that you were going to go through a transfer, I just thought, oh, my God, I hope I'm on time. Because if I can help you get a little bit of mental booster uh, that we can do through hypnosis, then, you know, I want to do that for you because I admire your story so much. So it was a perfect timing. And then, and then when you said you got pregnant, of course, we can't not say it was just hypnosis. I always tell that to my clients, but just the fact that you got pregnant, I was so over the moon. I, it's, it was, I think it was a perfect, um, transfer for you, right? No hiccups or anything. Not not anything that considered a hiccup, but I the way I see it is hypnotherapy was like a puzzle piece in the whole process of getting pregnant. So while it's not the entire picture, it's a piece of that picture, and now that picture is second trimester pregnancy. <laughs> I know it's awesome. So so you want to tell us a little bit of your story, how you got to this uh, amazing moment of your four week, 14 weeks pregnant with your adopted baby embryo. I think that's something I would love to just hear because there's so many women that know that this is option, but sometimes we just have all these thoughts around it. And I, I would love to hear what you can share with us. Sure. Well, some backstory. We were trying to get pregnant for about a year, like I'm sure 
the story starts out for most people. We got referred to a fertility specialist. And then that's when all the testing started on me and my husband. So after all of that, we got diagnosed with, with dual infertility. So we have both male factor issues and female factor issues contributing to the issues that are preventing us from conceiving naturally. So we jump right into a couple IUIs. Um, neither were successful um, in creating a pregnancy. So we took a break after our second failed IUI just to recover emotionally, financially, mentally. I also just, I wanted some space kind of from my infertility because as we all know, at that point, when you're jumping into treatments, it consumes you. It's 100% of your life. It's all you're thinking about. It's all you're scheduling for. You know, it's number one priority. And at that point, I just needed to take a little break from it. So it wasn't number one priority. We were still trying during our break, but all, that was obviously unsuccessful. Um, so then we went and got a second opinion. Something was just telling us that we needed to pursue someone else somewhere else, and maybe we would get some more answers. We started with a new doctor in November of 2019. Um, she reran some of our tests, and it was more dire than we originally thought. Um, IUIs were never going to work because of the issues that were found. My AMH was so low. My actual follicle count was in the toilet. Um, my husband's numbers were not recovering, even though he was put on medication. So basically, our only viable option was some kind of IVF. And even with IVF, the doctor really laid it out and said, we can do it. I'm not going to say we can't, but if you don't have the greatest odds of it being successful, just because we aren't 100% sure that your body is going to respond to stims the way we would expect it to. So she gave us about a 30% chance of IVF working, and that's with a $27,000 price tag. So we kind of had to sit on that and reflect on it. And before we even left that appointment, I went right to the window where the main nurse is and I said, we just got some bad news. I want you to gather all the information that you can about this clinic's embryo adoption program. So it wasn't long after that, maybe a couple weeks, that they got back to me saying that they had two potential donors in their clinic. And if we wanted to pursue adopting embryos, we would have to put in a profile. So we did. That was around Thanksgiving, the end of November, after our initial consultation. So it was just, it was a whirlwind. It happened very quickly. And we came to the, to the decision to do embryo adoption probably more quickly than most people would. Um, but I, I credit that to us prioritizing, um, saying that, you know, we need to, we want to be parents and we have all these factors and embryo adoption, um, gives us the best chance. So basically DNA be damned, let's go for it. And we applied and by Christmas we were matched with, um, two embryos and transferred not long after the new year. So it was like, boom, 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 very quick process for us. Um, which is not necessarily the case for everybody, um, but it was a blessing that it was so quick for us. Yes, I mean, that is the fastest I've ever heard because usually there's so much, um, you know, I, don't, I hate the word red tape, but it kind of is in clinics where women are asking and considering embryo adoption. It's an entire process on its own. It's like going through a different IVF again. You no, know? they make it so complicated. And just hearing your story, how fast and I mean, when things aren't meant to be, honestly, this is what happens, right? Because you you didn't you didn't take time to think about it, and it happened. We knew what we wanted, and we went for it. I think a lot of people. This might sound kind of harsh. I don't mean it to be. I think a lot of people delay their own process 
um, by waiting and thinking and mulling it over and talking to so-and-so and going back and forth on what should we do. I think that blows through so much time. And before you know it, you just spent three months trying to decide what to do instead of deciding what to do and doing it. So I think that was something that just came so easy to us that we picked what we were going to do and we went for it. Yeah, definitely. And and I can speak to that part of taking too long. I mean, in my case, I took forever to make the decision of going through IVF. I think mainly because I had a lot of, um, I guess, insecurities and in, 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 it was all mental in my case. It wasn't even financial or nothing. It was just a mental piece that I was missing. And um, that's how I got it. Everyone will have that missing piece, whether it's the mental piece, the financial piece, um, the, you know, the emotional piece. Most people will have something that's holding them back. But for us, like I said, for whatever reason, we just felt compelled to go forward. And we didn't, at the time, we didn't have anything holding us back. We had the financial stuff figured out, the emotional and mental stuff. We were ready to do it. So, I mean, that was, I think that was just the main thing we were ready to pursue yes. Avenue. So let me ask you, in, during all this time, how was, how was your husband with all this? I mean, how did he take it? Was he on board with the adoption part right away? Or how did you approach that with him? Well, I mean, we started talking about donors, any kind of donor, um, pretty early on because we knew we were maybe going to have to use one of some sort, whether it was an egg donor, sperm donor for IUI, embryo donor. So it was always a part of the conversation. My husband, though, was a little bit more hesitant than I was in the beginning. So he's the kind of person that he wants to investigate every option and have all of the information in front of him. And then he can make, he's a very uh, realistic person. Me, I say, I want to do this. I don't look at anything else. I point and say, I want this and that's it. I'm very stubborn in that way. So he, we did go through with an IVF consultation and broke down the numbers and broke down the odds and talked about it and did research about it. So we didn't just skip over traditional IVF with stims and retrieval and all that kind of stuff. But when he saw the numbers and he saw how difficult it was going to be for us, it was a pretty clear decision. Um, so we were both on the same page relatively at the same time, but I definitely brought up embryo adoption way before he was ready to go that route. But we both came to the decision and went that way at the same time, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does. So let's, let me ask you before you got to the part where, you know, you realize you both had, uh, you know, some kind of issue to move forward with a baby making of your own. How were you coping with the whole infertility part with your husband? I mean, cause I know that's one of the things that we all talk about in this world of infertility, that it gets tough at times. It's challenging as a couple. Uh, you know, there's sadly, there's a lot of couples that end up splitting because they can't cope with it. Uh, you know, what, what did you do that helped you kind of navigate this whole infertility part of your life? Well, I mean, we definitely didn't do anything special. I'm sure we did everything that everyone else has done. We cried. We would get very angry, not with each other, but angry at our circumstance we would shut down at moments. Like we, we didn't cope any better than anybody else with just having infertility. Um, but I think, like I said, I don't want this to sound bad, but I think it being dual factor kind of leveled the playing field. So I wasn't re any more resentful toward him for being infertile than he was resentful toward me for being infertile because we were both part of the problem in a sense. So I didn't feel bad any more than he would feel bad because it was both of us. So I think while that it's really, it's really horrible for it to be both of us. And it's really 
a bad deck of cards to be dealt. In a way, looking back now retrospectively, it it did level the playing field emotionally. Um, that it was both of us contributing to it. It's sort of like one of those situations where something sad like that can actually become a blessing, you know? Well, yeah, <laughs> because it was one of those things that brought us closer together because we were both experiencing infertility versus yes. me in it's my eggs and it's all my fault. It's it's our fault. It's our problem to deal with. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that couples probably face in the beginning of infertility is it's it's usually one or the other. It's either him or her. And that person will internalize, well, it's my fault we can't have kids. So for us, we were we were in it together. It was our fault that we couldn't have kids in a sense. So it kind of took the pressure off of the blame game. And I think that's what also kept us strong is we couldn't play that game with each other because they would point, my husband would point the finger right back to me if, if I wanted to go there. Um, so, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a blessing in disguise kind of thing, a blessing and a curse. Um, but it's certainly, it's, it's not unique to us, but That's one of the things that I, I appreciate about my infertility, if that makes any sense at all, if I can appreciate anything about my infertility, um, is that it wasn't, it wasn't just me. Yes. No, you, it, it, it is an amazing thing. I mean, it, you are really blessed in the whole situation because it is. And sadly, that's, I think, If I have to throw a number out there, I would say at least 60% of the couples that are struggling with infertility, it's it's one person in the couple, you know, like one of them has mm -hmm. the issue. And, and that's just like, it it sucks. It, it really does. It's hard to come together to a decision because one person is feeling responsible for the burden of the issue um, where we were both shouldering this burden in a sense. So when you made the decision to go for baby embryo adoption, did you have to do any other uh, procedure, any test, anything specific that that would apply only for those adopting an embryo? Or how was that process? Well, I mean, we did a mock transfer like most other people do, just as an IVF um, procedure. But we did have to do a couple more things that I don't think most other people need to do. Um, we had to get background checks, state, federal, and fingerprints um, to prove that we aren't, you know, criminals. We also had to do at least one session with a counselor specializing in third-party reproduction. And it wasn't a psychiatric evaluation, but it was an evaluation of whether we were ready to pursue this kind of treatment. Um, and that counselor wrote a letter to our doctor, not what we discussed, but just, you know, our readiness and how we were de dealing with it emotionally and we were in distress about it. So I don't, I don't think that's something other people have to do counseling and background checks and such. Um, but that was something required by our clinic. So I'm sure that that can vary from doctor to doctor and clinic to clinic. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I had no idea that that's a requirement. I think it's a fair process to want to find out those things, you oh, know, because yeah. it's definitely responsible. It was the responsible way to handle this kind of transaction. I don't know if that's like a... That's a weird way to put it, but it really was a transaction. Someone is giving yeah. us something, um, whether it's money or embryos, they are giving us something and for nothing in return. So the clinic and the donor family obviously want to make sure that they are giving this gift to someone who really wants it and can handle it. Um, but another thing we did, this was optional but it's something I chose to do was write a letter to the donor family, just kind of giving some background on my husband and I, how we met 
our careers, just information about the kind of life our potential children would have with us. And I would like to think that that's what sealed the deal with the donor family to choose us. Mm, That's beautiful. So did you ever meet them in person? No, we never met them. We don't know any identifiable information, names, addresses. Um, We don't know anything like that. We just know their education, um, what they do for, uh, for their jobs, not where they work. We know blood type, family medical history. We know how many children they have from this same cohort of embryos and age. We have just, you know, basic information and they have the same information on us plus whatever I chose to include in this letter. But both ways, it's not identifiable. So we, if we pass each other in the grocery store, we would never know it. Mm-hmm. It's um, a little bit, I guess, in that aspect, it's similar to a, a regular adoption, right? I actually thought you had met them for some reason. I think it, it, I think it makes it better. What would you have pre, if you could choose? Would you like to meet them, or this is better? Um, I feel comfortable where I am right now, but we did agree to discuss possible email communication in the future. Should they have questions for us or we have questions for them after delivery. Um, Okay. But we would, I don't think we would want to meet them or introduce our baby to them just because I think that gets confusing for the child to try to explain who these people are um, in comparison to who we are, especially when they're young. But we obviously are very open to when our children are of age, um, if they want to pursue finding them or meeting them, then they are totally allowed to do that. It's not something we're going to bar them from doing. Um, and they will always know their story as far as being donor conceived and embryo adoption and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know if it sounds kind of shallow, but I don't want to share um, or split my parenthood with somebody because that's almost what it would feel like to me. Like I'm checking in with my motherhood parole officer yeah. um, and I don't want, there's a boundary there that I think is very easily blurred. So I think keeping us separate, but having the option to communicate in the future um, is where we both want to be, including them. They don't want to meet us any more than we want to meet them. So we are very amicable on those terms. Yeah, I think that's the best option. It's it's halfway there. It's uh, I think it's great that you have a way of communicating should you need anything in the future, right? Like ask a very important, specific DNA health-related question, right? But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, everybody has their, their opinion, right? But I do agree with you. I think if I would go through the same process, I, I would definitely keep it that way as well. I don't think that's shallow at all. It's, it's just fair. Well, I mean, um, in some of the groups that I have been a part of, the embryo adoption, like Facebook groups, mm-hmm. um, it is very like frowned upon to not have an open relationship with your donor. Or oh, your really? Donor. Yeah, that's how it's that's how it's kind of come off in the groups I've joined. It may be different kind of cultures and different groups as far as far as that's concerned. But um, I have been called some names and told that I shouldn't ever be a parent that that I don't want to, you know, send photos to the donor family that they gave me this such amazing this amazing gift and all I have to do is send them a picture it's so small in comparison where I think yes they did give me this amazing gift us this amazing gift um but it's a gift um and a gift shouldn't be given with the expectation of something in return um so Unless they express that they wanted an open relationship and I'm shutting that down, I think that's a totally different dynamic. But they don't want an open relationship. 
we aren't interested in our relationship. So I think that's kind of our business um, as four adults deciding, you know, about our children um, the same way it's any other four adults, any two couples making decisions for their children. Um, but yeah, I have gotten a lot of criticism for having um, a closed adoption or an anonymous donation. Um, but that's not my experience on Instagram. So it's just a very different community. Yes. Isn't it amazing how the it changes the vibe completely? That's why uh, when we were starting this conversation today, we were talking and I was telling you about the Facebook groups. That's actually how part of the idea for this podcast came in because I, I, I mean, I, I just have this thing that we are going through infertility, no matter what scenario brought us here, who is the infertile one in the couple. So there is, we have that in common. We all just want to be moms and there is a lot of judgment around it within the same group. Mm -hmm. and in how we get there or what we accept to do or not do. And um, that's just one thing I want to kind of like bring the positive side of this. It doesn't matter. There's, there's all these avenues to get there. They're all hard because none of them are easy. And let's just support each other, focus on the outcome, which is having that baby and being supportive. Like the negativity needs to stay away because we have enough of that already. Oh, I know. I've gotten I've gotten messages concerning our embryo adoption, basically insinuating that I'm like stealing someone's kid. Um, this is not something they could ever do, and you would they would always wonder, you know, who who the baby looks like, and they don't look like me. And um, I was like, okay, then don't do embryo adoption. That doesn't mean I shouldn't do embryo adoption. I think that's a big distinction is people have these reservations about different options and different treatments. And that's fine. But to impose that on somebody else and judge them for their choices, it's just, it's so wrong. And it's just, it's ugly. Like Infertility is ugly enough. We don't have to add to the ugliness of it by judging each other on the choices the other makes. Yes. And, and if you think about it, um, like in my personal experience, when I made the decision finally to go through IVF, one of my biggest things that I, I found myself like stuck on, not, not to move forward, but like constantly thinking about was like, oh my God, what's going to happen if I have a lot of embryos left? And you're going to tell me that I have to keep those embryos frozen for who knows how long. And then the other option is to give them in adoption, which is also some, it's a very important decision, right? So I find that, yeah, it's crazy. Like every single thing we have to do during the infertility process, it's a major life decision. There's nothing that is just, like going to get a feeling in a tooth, you know, <laughs> everything is just. Once you do it, you can't go back. You can't undo exactly to do. It's forever, whatever that decision is. And that's the part I admire. I mean, you taking the embryo, but also the family in the other side, because I, that was one of the biggest fears. Like, I don't want to have, embryos frozen for who knows how long for the rest of their life because I don't even know how long you can keep them frozen but that to me the thought of that was crazy because you know let's face it it's not like I wanted to have six seven babies I just want two so what do you do with the others and just thinking that I'm gonna give them to someone else not because I didn't want them. It's just I, I, I'm not in a point in my life where I can have that many babies. So like the whole thought, and that's why that family that gave you that embryo, I admire them so much because not to leave those embryos there, just really, who knows? Who knows what yeah, happens when, to them, honestly? When we adopted them, they had already been frozen for six years. So Oh, really? 
Yeah, they were, our embryos were created in 2014, um, in March, I believe. So when we adopted, adopted them at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, um, they had already been frozen for almost six years. So I don't know if they were deciding whether or not to have more children or they didn't know what to do, or maybe this option wasn't available to them um, through the clinic at the time or until more recently. But I think it's important for obviously patients to know that this is an option, but I think doctors and clinics need to kind of get on board and be advocates for this kind of option because everyone's heard of sperm donor, egg donor, but embryo donor or embryo adoption seems a little bit more uh, scarce to find some. Um, So, I mean, I think doctors need to get on board. I think this is like such a a critical thing. Let's talk a little bit about the actual transfer. So what transfer did you do? Like what was your protocol, more or less? How, how did it look like? Well, we did a frozen embryo transfer, obviously, because they had been frozen for six years. Um, only transferred one. Um, and my protocol... In the beginning, at the time of transfer, was nothing. We were waiting for a spontaneous ovulation. And once that was determined, we set our transfer date. Um, And it wasn't until after transfer that I started any kind of medication. So the transfer itself was unmedicated or natural, um, but three days following the transfer is when I started medication. And that's not typical of a natural transfer. Um, Most natural transfers are what they say they are unmedicated and they go to their test day and that's it. But upon testing following transfer, they saw that my progesterone was dropping instead of increasing the way they were hoping or anticipating it was going to. So in almost in an emergency state, I had to get on progesterone injections. And just for good measure, they put me on the estradiol oral pills. So three days after transfer, I started progesterone or pyo injections. Um, and I started on two milligram, not milligrams. What is the dose? I can't even remember now. How do we have mil, mil, MLs? Two MLs. ML. <laughs> it's a, I've been off of them for four weeks and my brain doesn't even remember how they work. Um, so for the first month of injections following, you know, positive beta and everything, I was on two MLs a day and then I slowly weaned down to one and a half to one to a half ML until I was done. And same thing for the estradiol pills. I was taking four milligrams a day for the first month, then that weaned down to two milligrams, then one milligram, and then down to zero. So my natural transfer was natural up until three three days past transfer, then it no longer was unmedicated. Um, but like I said, I don't think that's typical for a natural cycle, we didn't anticipate my progesterone dropping the way it was. And and right now, finished the progesterone already. Yes, I yeah. stopped progesterone. My last shot was exactly 10 weeks. So I've been off of them for a month now. Let's talk about a little bit about the preparation for the transfer. So of course, as we as we talked about at the beginning, I you know, we did a, a session on hypnosis, which I always told you, I wish we had talked before because we should have done two. But hey, you know, yeah. we did one. But what else did you do to prepare? Like, what was your your thought process? Okay, you know how we all have this all these things we do to prepare for transfer? What was your your preparation kit? Well, for me, it was hypnosis. I had um, an acupressure massage the week before transfer. 
Um, and that was amazing. Even if it didn't help like physiologically do anything, it helped me just relax um, and just get my muscles, all the tension that we all carry the week before a transfer helped me get some you know, relief from the tension. I also, the only food related thing, like some of us eat pineapple or drink juice or, you know, whatever we have our little, um, rituals. I had, I had beets every day, like red beets. Um, I did some research and the research said that beets have some kind of, I mean, let me just do a disclaimer. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving out any diet or, you know, medical advice. This is just some Dr. Google stuff. Um, but it, there's some kind of compound in red beets that helps with circulation and this assistance in circulation is supposed to help thicken the uterine lining and provide oxygenated blood or provide more oxygenated blood to the pelvic region. Um, so I had beets every day um, leading up to transfer from cycle day one all the way to transfer. Um, and eventually, I can't eat beets now. <laughs> I had them too much. Um, <laughs> other than that, I didn't really do anything different um, or like extra. Um, I just tried to relax and just go, kind of go with the flow. I know that's so hard to do, but I just try to take it day by day. Yeah. Um, I, I, the beats suggestion or tip it's it's great i didn't hear about that before i'm actually going to start today now that you say (laughs) your research um so you know what you're getting into um but yeah can of canned beets every day (laughs) leading up to transfer i mean if beets aren't your thing it's gonna you can drink beet juice or put them in a smoothie or however you want to ingest them i just put them in salads um because that was just the easiest delivery system for me. Um, I don't know if it actually helped. It could have just been like one of those rituals we all do in the hopes that it's going to do something. But my lining cooperated, you know, when it came to transfer. So I don't know if that was just, if that was the beats or if that was just going to happen anyway. I have no idea. But that's the only like extra thing that I did leading up to transfer. And then I wanted to ask you a little bit about, so throughout this whole process, and now that you are successfully 14 weeks pregnant, what, if you could, for some, in some way, talk to Brianna from one year ago, like Brianna today, a year back, what would you tell that Brianna? Like what? What is the one thing that you wish you would have maybe not worried about or done different or what would you say? Um, I don't want to be a cliche, um, but I'm probably going to. I would tell Brianna, do what you're doing because you're trying your best and that's all you can do. And everything will work out the way it's supposed to be. And I wouldn't want to tell past me to change something. And then that somehow butterfly affects where I am now. Um, Because I'm the kind of person that believes, you know, we're on this path and we're going to get there at some point. And if we change something in the past, we might not be where we are in the present or in the future. So I think I was doing everything I needed to do, feeling everything I needed to feel at the time. And all of that mess from a year ago got me here and where I am now is a beautiful place to be. So I wouldn't tell myself to do anything different. Yes, that's, that's beautiful. So if, if you can, you know, for the women that will listen to this podcast episode um, and that are considering embryo adoption, do you have any tips on, like any specific questions that you recommend they ask the doctor or the family that's giving them the embryo if they had a chance? Um, well, I would say 
do your research, research as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can who have done this. Um, don't be afraid because I think the knee jerk reaction to essentially abandoning your, abandoning your genetics is to be afraid and to reject that. I think it's so, it's so against like our culture and our biology to say, you know what? Our DNA is out the window. Um, but if you can get over the cultural and biological roadblocks that most people will experience, you can do it and talk to your doctor, talk to a new doctor, talk to many doctors, you know, cause not every doctor is necessarily going to be on board. And I've seen it a lot in our community where doctors are pushing IVF when they really should be offering alternatives. Um, mm-hmm. So if your doctor is one of those doctors, that's, you know, an IVF Viking that all they want you to just try it, just do one round, just do one transfer, just, 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 we'll see how you respond to stims. If that doesn't feel right, if you're not feeling confident in that, look elsewhere. Do not be afraid to get a second, third, eighth opinion if if that's what it takes to get you where you want to be, where you need to be. Um, so, I mean, I'm definitely not a consultant or a professional in embryo adoption. I can only speak from my own experience but I'm glad I got my second opinion. I'm glad that my doctor wasn't pushing IVF when our numbers were low, but I know doctors are like that. So like I said, my tip, my top tip would don't be, don't be afraid and ask so many questions of so many people. Yes. I think that's key to ask, ask, ask until you find the one in the, the channel, the method, whatever it is that just clicks with your heart. You know, don't go with, I love the expression you use, the IVF Vikings, because I, <laughs> I I used to call them the IVF car sales, because sometimes you go to clinics and it's sad, but it, it really is like they're just selling you a car. Well, yeah, I, my first clinic was almost like an IVF um, factory. They were like pumping in patients and pumping out embryo, pumping in You were just like a number. No one knew my name. It was a huge clinic. Um, so it felt like a, like a what's it like a conveyor belt? You were just like pumping along the conveyor belt along the, you know, in your factory. And when I had asked them about embryo adoption or some kind of third party reproduction options for us, they told me, you're so young, try the IVF once at least. Like, no, maybe I don't want to, or maybe that's not the right option for us, but I want to know the information about everything before I make the decision to invest in something that may or may not work for us. So, I mean, if, if your doctor just pushing IVF and you're not confident about it, or you're not sure about something, don't do it. Just don't, don't do it. Wait until you feel confident in whatever the decision is. If it's sperm donor, egg donor, embryo adoption, IVF, traditional adoption, whatever it is, it needs to like, it needs to sit like with peace in your heart. And if, if you're not peaceful about it, don't do it. Yes. No, I, that's the key. And, 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 and this takes me a little bit into like, when I have calls, the first call with my clients for hypnotherapy, um, I find that it doesn't matter if we go to the best IVF doctor in the United States or in Europe or wherever if we do a hundred thousand shots of medicines, I don't care what you're doing. If if there is something in your heart that doesn't feel right, that is just kind of keeping you. If there is something that you constantly think about and you're not getting the right answer to put you at peace, then you need to treat that first because a hundred shots will not bring you a baby if you're not feeling like you're. Well, yeah, and that was something we were experiencing with our first clinic. It wasn't even that we were against doing IVF or embryo adoption or another IUI. We just weren't excited to do it with them. We had no confidence or enthusiasm or momentum or any of those you know, words for this clinic and for this doctor. So 
moving forward didn't feel right there, whatever forward was for us. When we got with our new doctor, going forward with whatever we chose to do felt right. And that's how we knew we were where we were supposed to be. And like I said, I think a lot of people go to one doctor and they feel bad for leaving or they like the the, the nurse or the tech in the lab and they feel bad. Don't feel bad. This is your story, your baby, your journey, your money. You go where you feel good. Yes, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I just want to say right now, before I forget, for anyone hearing, uh, listening to this podcast, you are paying for this. This is not free. Even if you want one of those lottery things they do in the clinics and you're doing an IVF that's free, it's your body and it's a life that you're dealing with, that little embryo and and your life, your future life and your couple, you know, your your partner, your husband, your wife, whoever, you have every right to question, to want to know more, to want to have explanations because I hear so many Women, they just go and they tell them, oh, you have to do this, this, and that. And then you ask them, well, what is that? And they they have no idea. But they just go and do it because the doctor said they should do it. And although there is some admiration on that, and because they're putting a lot of trust, we have to be able to question and, and learn everything. Because if, if you don't do it for you, then who's going to do it? Nobody. So... Um, if you don't care about you, you can't expect other people to care about you or your, the outcome of whatever treatment that you're going through. So, I mean, that was one of the other things is we were really big advocates for ourselves that we decided that embryo adoption was right for us and we were going to do it. If our doctor said, no, sorry, I don't do that here, we would have went somewhere else. And I think that was one of the other things, our first clinic when they were like, well, you're young, do this. Well, I, if you were my daughter, I would tell you to do that. There's a long wait list. You, you might as well just do IVF. And they were just so dismissive of something that we felt very passionate and at peace about. Um, so we just knew whatever we were going to do, it wasn't with them. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You know, pay attention to those little but super red flags. Is there anything that you would like to tell anyone that's out there considering embryo adoption or that maybe they're just starting this whole IVF process and they find that recently they told them, you know, your chances are very low. Anything you want to share with that, that audience that you think is valuable that would help them kind of move forward to make this decision? Um, well, I would just say, don't be afraid. And if you are afraid, Deal with that fear first. Um, if that means going to hypnotherapy, if that means seeing a third-party reproduction counselor, even if it's not a requirement of whatever kind of treatment you're pursuing, go to people that can help you overcome your fears. Do not adopt embryos and not be sure about embryo adoption because I've definitely seen that too, where people knee-jerk reaction say, oh my gosh, my ovarian reserve is horrible. I'm going to adopt some embryos. Now they have these embryos in their you know, care or in their possession, in a sense, and they're not sure that they can go through with it. So deal with your fear and insecurities first, then decide what you're going to do after. And always remember that DNA is not what makes a family. Um, you are what make your family. So you carrying this child you raising this child, you caring for this child, that's what makes a family. Um, if you want to look down and see a reflection of yourself, then embryo adoption is certainly not going to be for you. But if you're not looking for a reflection and you're just looking for motherhood in, in the midst of horrible medical issues that are preventing you from doing so otherwise, then consider it. I think that would be my advice. No, thank you so much. I think uh, that's exactly why I wanted to have you in this podcast and uh, to share that because you've, you've always been able to be very clear and very, um, I like to say in a way, simple about this decision. You know, it's such a complex thing to do, but it, it, it just boils down to 
okay, what do you want to do? Make it, call it out and just go for it. I think if you prioritize what is most important to you and peel back the layers of maybe what can go, if DNA happens to be one of the things that isn't on the top of the list, then if you have to, toss it. And so many options become available. Um, But if it is important to you, don't be ashamed to want to try IVF first. You know, that's totally your choice. It's your body, your baby. But don't discount it as an option. I think that's my main message is don't discount alternatives. Yes, that's that's awesome. And Brianna, thank you so much for sharing your whole story and and this important subject of embryo adoption and of course uh we'll stay in touch but i i wish you the best in in the remaining of your pregnancy and i really can't wait to see the first picture of this baby in this world so congratulations again and um you know i i'll put in the show notes i'm gonna include brianna's Instagram handle so you can follow her and learn more from her story and that's it for today thank you so much for joining us this week on the infertility makeover podcast make sure to check the show notes for details on anything that we've talked about during this podcast be sure to check out my website at andreachincora.com where you can subscribe to the show to make sure you never miss one And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, it would mean the world to me if you can give me a good rating or if you would simply tell a friend about the show, that would help me a lot too. If you like this show and you want to check out my signature program, the IVF Booster, um, please go ahead. You'll find this in my website. This program is designed to help you increase the chances of a successful IVF by aligning your mind with your body using a hypnotherapy technique. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. And remember that their story can be yours.